Welcome back to Capital Stories. This is a podcast where we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. Today, we interview Ned Lindholm. Um, who many of you around Capital regularly probably would recognize, even if you don't know. Ned has been a part of Capital's community for many, many years, longer than me. Um, and back in 2012, which was before I've been here even, he was in a terrible accident that took away his eyesight um, and changed his life in pretty drastic ways. I remember the day. I, re- I remember getting the call. I remember the shock and the just, you just can't believe kind of what happened and um since then ned has been pretty private about his journey until about a month ago when he reached out to us which was really exciting on multiple levels um he's been a faithful podcast listener and and he chose to choose this channel to for the first time share um some details about his story and and eric we got to sit at this table and have the privilege of time kind of stood still uh, again just um listening to him choose to um, kind of bravely share part, parts of this story that are are just precious and sacred. And so we're, we're really excited that you get to hear them too. Yeah, you are in for a real treat. Mm-hmm. Without any further introduction, here is Ned on Capital Stories. Thank you, Ned, for being with us today, this morning. Before we start, I just want to say thank you. I know that I don't say that lightly. You've been private about a lot of what you have been through in these years. And we were so grateful to hear that you were willing and ready to share your story. And so thank you so much for that. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a very different for me. I normally am not a very open person. I tend to be pretty private, but this has been quite a year of uh, changes for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and I just kind of felt that uh, with a lot of new people at Capital and a lot of what we've all been dealing with for the past couple of years, mm-hmm. maybe somebody could use what what I've been through to yeah, you know, to kind of, uh, get through yeah. some tough times in their life. I think you're right. So thank you for the privilege to be a part of sharing this story and putting it out there and for the courage that you have to do so. And a lot of good also has happened for you in this past year. So I'm excited to get to that part. But first, we are going to go back. And I'd like to ask you to start by telling us about the accident. It might be challenging and to whatever extent you are willing to share if you could tell our listeners something, something, something big happened in 2013. Okay. Well, in... 2013, I was working as a defense contractor at Dugway Proving Grounds out in the West Desert here in Utah. I have an advanced degree in chemistry, and my job at the time was a part of a group that looked at homemade explosives that were being used in the theaters at the time, Iraq and Afghanistan, against our soldiers. And my job was to basically study and learn about these compounds that were being used in these IEDs, improvised explosive devices, and kind of figure out how our soldiers could deal with them and render them safe or 
desensitize them enough to dispose of them safely. That was kind of the mission of the group I was a part of. Part of that meant kind of studying these things firsthand and making them ourselves and figuring out what their sensitivities Mm. were. And unfortunately, on July 10th, 2013, one of those compounds exploded while I was holding it, severely injuring me, to say the least. Mm -hmm. My hand is Mm -hmm. missing a couple of the ends of the fingers. (laughs) I also have a patch of skin there that's been grafted back on. My hearing was damaged severely to the point where I now require hearing aids. Also, the blast actually fractured several facial bones, but most severely was the damage it did to my eyes. A large chunk of the container, the ceramic container, actually penetrated my right eye, and small bits of debris also turned into what they call a fragmentation pattern that flew into my left eye. So the damage was fairly severe. My right eye could not be saved. It could not be salvaged. They had to remove it. The left eye, the cornea was almost shredded. The iris and lens had to be removed and some severe damage was done to the retina, pretty much rendering me legally blind. I guess we're coming up on almost nine years now that that happened. Mm -hmm. So to say that life changed for me pretty dramatically would be an understatement since that day. It's such a significant, for lack of a better word, before and after moment. Yeah, Yeah, you could say that. Literally everything changes Mm -hmm. in that moment. Obviously, physically, your view of the world, your, your faith, your relationships, your, your life. Can you share a little bit about maybe that initial after, you know, as you adjusted? The effects, the physical effects were immediate, obviously. But after something like that happens, there's this initial almost moment of disbelief mm-hmm. where you were fine a microsecond before and afterwards you are anything but i remember waking up in the hospital and it was about two days after it had happened and sort of having that it was kind of foggy it was like did that really happen or and then you realize i can't see i hear beeping and I have this tube shoved down my throat. What what happened? There's this moment of did did that really just happen? Mm-hmm. And then there's that moment of the moment it begins, it continues of am I even am I alive? Am I there's this massive, massive confusion mm-hmm. that goes on. Yeah. And you hear voices that are of people in the room. First few voices I heard were my mother and my oldest sister. And what are you guys doing here? Hearing a voice of a a good friend who had a coworker talking to my sister. And then there's that, how do you two even know each other? What? And then everything comes back and you realize, oh man, 
it's bad. I can't see. I can't feel my hand. Everything's muted. Yeah. I spent the next three days just trying to figure out, trying to piece together what had happened to me. And after that, I think the reactions you can imagine are going to be like a lot of people would think. Yeah. How do I deal with this? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to keep on with life? Mm -hmm. What is going to happen? And the massive hole of not knowing, of not being able to project what your life is going to be like takes over and it can lead to all sorts of panic, all sorts of fear. I think it's natural for we as people, we try to project what our future is going to be, even though none of us really fully know. Yeah. But this was a case where I couldn't even project. Yeah. I never considered the fact that I might be blind. I never considered a fact of being hard of hearing. This was something where you even wonder if you're going to be able to live any sort of life beyond that. And I went through all of that. I spent about a month in the hospital and about another four months in a rehabilitation facility. And I think during those five times, I went through every single possible scenario of having to live in a assisted living, being homeless, being reliant on a caregiver for the rest of my life. And I went through all of it during that period of time. And it was probably the most, some of the most terrifying moments that you've ever had in yeah. life is to not know the future or not have any idea uh, of what could happen to you. I can picture two probable paths for what you're describing after a shock and just the significance of what you're describing, right? On one hand, like it can lead to this jaded, cynical, depressed, right? And just questioning faith, questioning everything, you know? And on the other hand, it can lead to, at least where faith is concerned or your hope is concerned, to a stronger desperation, a stronger sort of clinging to God. Help us understand how this evolved for you over time. I was really hesitant on whether or not I wanted to speak on this today because it is not something I don't think I've shared with. I think I can count on one hand the amount of people I've actually talked to about this, but I do feel like it's time to talk about it. To understand what I went through at that time, you have to know the story of my father. My father was a Baptist minister for a number of years, 30 years in a small town in uh, Minnesota, and then eventually Fargo, North Dakota. In 2002, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness, myotrophic lateral sclerosis. Lou Gehrig's disease. It is a horrifying, horrifying, debilitating disease that eventually will end with your death. It completely renders you immobile. You lose the ability to lift your arms, to walk, and eventually it, you lose the ability to speak. And 
eventually breathe. When he was diagnosed with that, it was, you talk about a gut punch, one of the most horrifying days of my life. You know, and this is coming from a guy who's, you know, shattered his right leg and blown himself up, was him telling me that news. I have this disease that is going to eventually kill me. And this is a man who has served God for 30 years. Yeah. And you go through you go through the anger, you go through this feeling of betrayal. You go through all of it. And just the you know, how dare you do this? His reaction to that disease, mm -hmm. to that diagnosis. Mm -hmm was to thank God for the life he had been given, for the family that he had been given, to show strength and courage. When you know you're going to die in probably one of the most undignified manners, you think about that, getting blown up doesn't seem all that bad. And there was a moment in that hospital room where I remember praying and saying, I guess it's my turn now. Knowing what to do after that day was easy for me because I had the best example in the world how to move forward. I've had people come up to me and say, I cannot believe how well you've handled this. I can't believe what strength you've shown. And I always want to tell them, and I don't, this is nothing. You should see what my dad did. I heard that man literally speak hundreds of sermons about scripture when I was young. The most powerful lesson he ever taught me was how he lived the last year of his life. I don't know if I've ever really verbalized that completely to anyone before. So why not do it to the whole web? <laughs> but to answer your question, how did I react? How did my faith in God progress after it happened. I held on for dear life because I had an amazing example of what to do in times of trouble. What we say by what we do speaks so loudly mm. to the people that are watching us. I mean, that was the gospel. That was peace that transcends understanding. It... I think there's about a thousand scriptures you can pull out <laughs> from this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, verses mm -hmm. in James about mm -hmm. variance mm -hmm. and real faith having mm -hmm. works right. to show along with it. Yeah. There's a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, preach mm -hmm. God with all your heart and when necessary, use words. I, yeah, we can pull out all of them here. Yeah. No testimony, mm -hmm. no message you say will ever be as loud as what you do in life, your actions. Faith is not just a mindset or a belief. It's also action. It's also how you live your life and how you show that to others. When this happened, when it got to the point where it was time for me to learn how to deal with life. Mm -hmm. That became, I guess, the 
mantra I used. How do I do this? And there was no can I, there was no will I, it was how do I? Hmm. I've got to figure this out. I have no more margin for error here. And I begin approaching it as one step at a time, Hmm. one day at a time. Those long hours where, you know, rehabilitation first came with my hand. Mm -hmm. And then once I got to the point where that was, you know, usable again, I went to an adjustment program at the Division of Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired here in Salt Lake out on Redwood Road, where I went through a pretty intensive 10 months of training on how to deal with life as a blind individual. So they teach you Braille, they -hmm. teach you technology that will help you adapt to the modern world, how a computer can be used without sight. Mm -hmm. They teach you just basic skills around the house to cope as a non-visual, in a non-visual capacity. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, they also teach you how to navigate. Yeah. How to travel with the white cane, how to get yourself from point A to point B. And as basic as that sounds, doing it completely non-visually is a trick. The first thing that they do when they put you in that program is they put you under sleep shades and take away any residual vision that you have so that you are forced to rely on your other senses and problem solve your way out of things. And it's a little bit unnerving to, like, I've got very little vision the way it is, and now you're going to take that away from me? And then you want me to go cross a street? And it's daunting at the time. It's such a level of vulnerability. I keep thinking about that word, that you've experienced such vulnerability. The depths of just this emotional, physical, spiritual vulnerability and have risen into a new identity that brings the identity from before all the ways God prepared you and then who you are now. Tell me about that sense of identity, how that changed or how you experienced, right? You you are not just this or just that. For a person who has a disability, it can be easy for people to think of you Mm-hmm. just as that person, mm-hmm. just as the blind guy or the person in a wheelchair or somebody with special needs. And that is really only one aspect right. of a person. On one hand, it's, it's easy to understand why people do that, but it also drives me nuts to no end. One of the things people say to me that... Yes, tell us the dumb things people say so we don't say them. Practical tip, listeners. Well, I don't know if I didn't want to get into this, but (laughs) when somebody comes up to you and just says, you do that so well for a blind person, Hmm. you get around so well, I keep forgetting you're blind. What? (laughs) You know, you think that's a compliment? Hmm. But no, I mean, when you're blind... Or have any sort of (laughs) handicap, that's the way people are going to look at you. Mm -hmm. And that's the way people Mm -hmm. react to you at times. Mm -hmm. And when it first happened, another thing that I I 
have had to try and learn to deal with mm. is there are people who come up to you and, you know, put your hand on your shoulder. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're somebody I know, mm. I don't really so much mind that too much. Mm-hmm. But when a stranger does it to you, it, you're looking at them like, what? You know, oh. if I were sighted, you wouldn't even give me the time of day. Yet, because you automatically think, I can't, because I can't see, you automatically think that this is somehow acceptable. Mm-hmm. And it, it it drove me nuts to no end when it, after, right after the, the accident. Mm-hmm. It was probably one of the most aggravating things I had to learn to deal mm-hmm. with. In fact, it got to the point where I nearly came into service one day with a sign saying, don't, don't pet touch the me. blind person. <laughs> don't pet the blind And finally, I just, now that wouldn't, that's not exactly a, yeah. small, you know, yeah. good thing to have. Right. Well, but, <laughs> you know. Would have made the point. <laughs> it, well, the same time, that sort of thing should not happen. Mm. If you react to it in this nasty, bitter way, you really fulfill that stereotype of the angry, uh, you know, that bitter person that everybody, you know, could probably tell you a horror story about. Yeah. During training, I was trying to cross a street one day, you know, with my shades on and and the guy was like, oh, here, let me help you. And he started pulling me across the street the wrong way. And, you know, I did not react to it very kindly. My reaction was to put him in an arm lock and drag him into the middle of the street. Oh. And while he was screaming for help. (laughs) But (laughs) it's, but at the same time, you can't control everyone's reaction. Yeah. I can't control what somebody's going to do, good or bad. Yeah. But I can control how I react to it. Now, I'm not saying let that go and just live with it. No, you can tell that person, hey, you know, I'm trying to go this way. I'm trying to do this. You're kind of messing me up here. (laughs) Right. Or to politely say, you know, you really shouldn't put your hands on a blind person without their permission. Mm. And then immediately I stick out my hand just saying, hi, I'm Ned. Mm. You know, and that's permission. That's implied permission. Right, right. And that's, you know, the little things like that that you don't really think about from time to time. Mm. Uh, You know, how it is that you have to learn to deal with. I mean, that has almost been harder than the blind skills themselves. Right. So is, is learning to just simply realize that society is going to react to you in a specific way, mm-hmm. then your reaction is going to help shape, help either change it or just cement it. Or enable it. Mm-hmm. Those are good, good practical reminders or instruction, <laughs> respective. This last year has been pretty exciting for you professionally, personally. I'd love to share with the community a couple of things that have been pretty exciting about how you couldn't project the future. And here we are nine years later with this life that has had some pretty extraordinary people and opportunities 
that ha- God has presented to you. you. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it really starts past this year. In the professional aspects of it, really started about five years ago when I got to the point where I embarked on a new career mm-hmm. of teaching chemistry at Salt Lake Community College. Working with students has been a very fulfilling mm. new career for me. Also, after the accident, I got involved with an advocacy group called the National Federation of the Blind, the largest nationwide group of blind individuals who truly believe that blindness should not identify you as a person. They have this theme, or their, I guess, I don't know, what is it? It's not a Mission, like their mission, mission or mission their, their tagline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that to live the life you want. In today's modern technology society, there are ways to overcome almost any sort of accessibility issue. And that is their mission to teach blind individuals how they can hold, you know, these high level jobs and to live the life that they want to live. Mm -hmm. Through teaching, I begin to learn a little bit about education of blind children. Blind children, their education is all geared around dealing with blindness, similar to what I went through. And in a lot of cases, aren't given the opportunities at regular education that we all had as sighted people. For instance, and this was the area that I'm getting involved in, is in the area of science education. We take for granted, you know, that our kids are going to have a thorough education. Hmm. Math and English, history and science are, you know, the four main ones. And even if a kid doesn't go on to have a career in science or medicine or something of that sort, they have the opportunity to learn it. It's all available to them. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered was that the science education for these kids is not, not what a, you would call complete at all. Mm-hmm. Science is, has two components, a book learning component and a hands-on practical component. And because of their visual impairment, a lot of these kids are being told, this is a part you can't do or this is a part you're not going to be able to do. Mm. If they are allowed to participate, it's often just as, okay, you sit there and take notes, or you sit there and just be a part of the group. Mm. They're never given that opportunity to be hands-on. And that's where the real learning in science comes from, to see your book learning concept played out in real life. Mm a laboratory experiment. That's where the real learning in science comes from. And without that component, careers in engineering, careers in medicine, careers in just, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that has to do with hands-on science is essentially off limits for them. That to me is not acceptable. When I kind of learned that this is what's going on, There's a small portion of the community, of the blind community, that have learned how to overcome this and have learned how to forge careers in science, but they're the exception rather than the rule. 
And oftentimes it's done in a manner that really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's always been this little kind of tugging, this little voice that God kind of puts in your head. This is what you're supposed to do. This is why you went through what you went through. When we go through hard times in life, a lot of times we say that I can do it if I know there's a reason for it. I get the sense that this is the reason that God kind of put me through that, or at least one of them. I'm sure there are multiple ones. But it was almost as if if somebody could figure this out, it's going to be, you can do this. You can figure out how to do this for them. That's kind of been my, I guess it's kind of become my new mission for lack of a better term, I don't know, mm-hmm. it makes it sound mm-hmm. kind of dramatic when you say it that way. But <laughs> passion. Yeah. Focus. Was to try to bring a hands-on component to science education for blind children. And so I sent Eric a, a link um, mm-hmm. to our what is basically my first yeah. attempt mm-hmm. or my first thing, and it went off fairly well. Mm-hmm. Part of the National Federation of Blind is, is Project Strive, which is geared towards junior high, high school, and even young, young adults to teach them different skills in blindness, something that maybe they're not getting in their normal education. Mm-hmm. I was asked to put on a day of hands-on science, and I'm not sure they quite knew what they were getting into when they asked <laughs> me to do that. <laughs> You know, I think they thought maybe I would come up with some experiment that would mix a couple things together and get warm. I decided, no, this needs to be big. It needs to be a shot across the bow. I need to have them do something that some of my colleagues wouldn't even go near Hmm. who have PhDs. And it just so happens that my previous job, we did that for a living. (laughs) You know, we worked with compounds that most people would never even dare try and make. We had them make a thermite device. And a thermite device is a metal oxide metal reaction that can get to temperatures of upwards of 2,000 degrees Mm. Celsius. And, you know, I guess if you're not familiar with temperatures, that's really hot. does sound hot, even too (laughs) hot. It will literally boil metal at that temperature. And we had them make that. We used adaptable technology to Mm. make temperature measurements Mm. and collect data. We had technology there that would measure the temperature in real time. As Mm. this thermite device is going off and heating the surface that it's on, we're tracking the temperature, and then we presented the data with a tactile format that the kids could then feel rather than, of course, they can't see a plotted curve, right? but it's a, a temperature gradient curve right. that they could feel. I had a video of it that I uh, showed a couple colleagues, and they were kind of quiet and went, you had blind kids do this? And yeah, we did. 
The kids did everything. They measured out the appropriate amounts of chemicals using uh, instrumentation that talked to them. They set the experiment up themselves. We had them kind of feel what it was, what it was going to be. They took notes on uh, using their iPhones, Mm -hmm. the memo device, and then we actually had them set it off. They did everything hands-on. It's an opportunity that, you know, they deserved and something that needs to be done more often. Or what I want to do is to help bring more of these experiences to kids. Now, be that another one-day activity or maybe even developing an actual curriculum. There are ways to do this. And the problem with education for the blind, especially science, is in the past it's been far too reactive. We've... Uh, A blind student says, I want to learn chemistry. I want to learn biology. I want to learn physics. And the teacher is scrambling like mad trying to figure out how in the world do I do this? And in many cases, they don't know how or they can't figure it out. And so it never happens. Or it's done in a watered down version that really doesn't do that student any, any sort of service. So my whole mantra has been, we need to be more proactive about this. Mm-hmm. We need to have clear avenues, clear paths, clear curriculum for this student so that when he comes to his teacher and says, I want to learn about chemistry, I want to learn about physics, there's already a way to do it. And I think that's the area that God's kind of leading me towards. You need to be one to figure out how to do this. My whole career has been trying to figure out the craziest ways to do things, to make things go bang or make things burn or just even make things work. Mm. And it's almost like this is something that in some ways God's been preparing me for for long before the accident. The accident just sort of revealed the path. You also are having the opportunity to experience this new path professionally, this new mission, this goal with a partner. I was wondering when that was going to come up. Yeah. (laughs) And I just... uh, I just want to celebrate that and give you a minute to also share some pretty extraordinary faithfulness. Well, you know, as I kind of said before, I've been a very private, private, (laughs) solitary person. Yes. I think a lot of people maybe, you know, at Capitol here probably know who I am just by, you know, by sight and they see me, okay, him. But they don't really know much about me because I don't really, you know, I'm not exactly the most talkative person, you know. And that's just been the way I've been for, you know, uh, almost 50 years. I'm one one year away from 50. So, <laughs> and that's just been always the way I've kind of been with life. And so when the pandemic hit two years ago now, 
life didn't change for me all that much. <laughs> you know, I was already kind of a solitary guy. And <laughs> having to stay at home wasn't much of a change. Mm -hmm. But it even got to me mm. how isolated we I was. Mm. I mean, I would go for weeks without even seeing another, you know, even being in the same room with somebody. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, this whole lone wolf island <laughs> under yourself thing, it isn't all it cracked up. <laughs> it really can be, be kind of lonely, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I ever really said it out loud, but a lot of the thinking on my was there's not going to be somebody that wants to live with this yeah. you know that is going to want to be with somebody who is blind yeah and but i remember kind of feeling that loneliness or that kind of that solitude and just saying you know this kind of sucks <laughs> <laughs> you know and maybe 40 plus years of doing this 45 at that time i was you know 47 Maybe 47 years of doing it on your own is enough. You know, and then I do kind of remember praying, you know, God. And I, I did it in kind of that way. You know, maybe if it's not too much trouble, <laughs> if you could maybe f find it. A little time. Yeah. If you have a minute. You know, a, a, a significant other, a, a person to kind of share life with wouldn't be such a bad thing, God. I'd, I'd go for that. I'd be okay with that now. <laughs> And one month later, <laughs> I, he brought Rebecca into my life. You know, if you ask her, she was like, oh, it was immediate. And if you ask me, it was, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. But if I'm really honest, she's, she's right. It was, it was kind of immediate. And if you ask her, you know, she, she'll say, oh, I totally pursued him. And my response is, yeah, but I didn't run very fast. <laughs> but, and it's pretty, it's been pretty amazing to find that person who, you know, loves and cares for you despite your issues, your baggage, your, you know, your hangups, yeah. you know, every single character flaw in the Rolodex that you have. She says, yes, I want to share the rest of my life with you. And I found myself saying the same thing with her. She's got quite the story herself mm -hmm. that, you know, really is not my story to tell. Yeah. But <clears throat> we both made the conscious decision. This is the person that we believe that I believe God has for me. And God wants me to be with for the rest of my life. And it was quite fast, <laughs> I guess, by most people's standards. We had our first date less than a year ago. Mm -hmm. We were engaged <laughs> four months later. And uh, much to the uh, amazement and chagrin of some family members... <laughs> In particularly my mother, <laughs> which my response was, you and dad got married after I got engaged after six weeks. You really don't have a leg to stand on here, mom. 
<laughs> to which she responded, yes, that's true. <laughs> As we are talking today, it is three months before we are getting married. Yeah. And she has joined with me wholeheartedly in my endeavors, especially when it comes to blindness. She has accepted me for who I am, you know, hang-ups and all, and I, too, with her, you know, hang-ups and all. (laughs) And that is a pretty amazing, amazing thing. It's been a wonderful year. It's uh, Mm -hmm. been a big change because now I will have the additional role mm-hmm. of husband as well as stepfather, stepfather yeah. to three teenagers. <laughs> so another comment was given to me. I was like, so you decided to skip the cute and cuddly part and go right to teenage drama? <laughs> I think that blast scrambled your brain. <laughs> oh, Ned. I keep thinking about the word miracle. The... The miracles that we experience every day, the miracle of a God who loves the whole world and then loves us so uniquely and personally, the miracle of a God who goes before us and then is with us and then is ahead of us, and the way that these miracles have played out and continue to play out in your life and not to invalidate the pain and the suffering and the grief of all of the things that you have gone through, but just the miracles, the miracle of God that has been with you through it all. And gosh, you think about that, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Not to slap a scripture on everything, but it's the plans I have to prosper you. It's extraordinary to hear about the prosperity, the blooming and the growing of all the miracles. I mean, And the miracle of love that's tied it all together here at the end. The love that you give and receive from God in the ways that you're able to give and receive love to others around you. The students, your fiancé, and the miracle of the love of your dad that continues to inform and inspire everyone who's going to hear this. Everyone that's going to hear this. And I thank you. I thank you so much for whatever it was that made you say it's time to share my story, thank you for sharing it on Capital Stories. Thank you for listening. When we finished this recording, Eric, you and I just kind of sat here for a while and processed. And we hope that you're doing the same thing. We hope that life has handed you a few extra minutes that you can just sit and think and reflect on some of the things that stuck with you i know that we shed a few tears and we just thought oh let us be let us be impacted and reminded about like the story about his father yeah you know just we we try so hard to do all the things just his action the model yeah that he set you just never know who's watching and how much that's going to impact somebody yeah so yeah totally 
And before you go, we also want to just remind you that we got to hear this episode all because Ned reached out to us. Mm -hmm. So thank you again, Ned. But the invitation to you all always stands. If you have a story that you'd like to share on this channel, or if if you have a topic you want us to explore in the context of faith, we would love Mm -hmm. to explore that. So let Mm -hmm. us know. You can email us at stories at capitalchurch.com. Thanks so much again for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks.